0: Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Zero Restriction. I'm actually out at Bandon Dunes as we speak. It's been beautiful weather, unbelievable, high 50s, uh, but very cold mornings. And of course, the wind's picking up every once in a while. And I wouldn't be so comfortable if I didn't have my brand new ZR Z2000. Jacket, it's uh windproof, waterproof. It's it's the works. It's incredible. It's kept me really warm in the morning. It kept me just incredibly comfortable. Comes in all different types of colors. I would highly recommend going to check it out at uh, zerorestriction.com, especially if you're in the market for new rain gear. It's it's spring golf season's upon us. Got to have a good rain jacket, and these things last forever. They're wonderful, wonderful jackets. And if you use the code FRIEDEGG15, you'll get 15% off your purchase. So go visit our friends over at ZeroRestriction.com. Today I am joined by Michael Kaiser Jr. This is an exciting uh, conversation. Michael and I uh, talk every once in a while on the phone, and we always end up having really long, interesting discussions about bevies of topics that you know, range the depths of architecture to just random things. And I always thought, oh, it'd be just good to have a conversation just like our phone conversation. So that's kind of how I modeled this this interview with Michael, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg, fried egg, the dreaded fried egg, fried egg,
1: fried egg, fried egg, fried egg
0: fried egg, fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. How uh, how do you go? Tell me. Tell us about how your menu tasting when you're trying to figure out. What food to have at Sand Valley? How do you guys go about critiquing? And
1: this is really hard work we're talking about here, Andy.
0: I mean, I I got to sit in on one of these, and
1: look, it starts with the pant choice. You know, you need an elastic waist. It all starts. It all starts with the pants. <laughs> I like to wear sweatpants when I'm doing a menu tasting.
0: I remember I had to drive after it, and I was like, "Oh God, I'm really sleepy."
1: When we were uh, first Interviewing chefs for Sand Valley. I remember the first tasting I did was in Chicago and three entrees came out. It was like uh, there were three big proteins, you know, two steaks and, you know, pork chops or something. And I was just hungry and it was delicious. So I ate, you know, all three of them in their entirety. So three enormous entrees. You know, we had eight courses left. So that was an important lesson. Uh, Look, we just eat the food and we try to get, you know, a broad, Uh, perspective you know there's six or eight people hopefully they're you know representative of our guests uh and we all share you know what we like about them what we don't like about them um so that that, you know that's that's the process it's pretty simple
0: do you ever regret you know you think back about an item and say god i wish we would have would have kept that That remember that
1: no no we keep all the winners you know we listen to our guests and we we know what people like and we we I don't want to call them losers, but we drop the losers, we keep all the winners. So everything that's been dropped from our menu deserves to be dropped, and the winners are still on. Our pork (laughs) shank, we're not getting rid of our pork shank, we're not getting rid of grandma's meatloaf at Bandon.
0: They're losers. They deserve to be dropped. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when you... uh, we're in college. You uh, and when you came out of college, you didn't go straight into golf. What What were you doing?
1: No, I did go straight into golf. Oh, you um, did? Yeah, See, I, uh, I for up. for a year, and then I left it. So, I moved when I was in college. My jobs. I worked at Bandon Dunes. I was uh, I, I started on the maintenance crew, which I, I loved, but at four seventy three an hour, and then after taxes, I realized that the caddies really, you know, they're.
0: That's where, where that's was where my money was,
1: right? So I started caddying and, and really enjoyed that and learned a lot from these, you know, outstanding professional caddies and got to really, you know, study the golf courses and see how our guests reacted to the golf courses, what they liked, you know, what what they were frustrated with. So that was that was a really incredible experience. But honestly, my favorite job was as a carpenter for several years. Um, you know, a, a union cart. Carrying framer in in Chicago, and I loved, you know, building things. I love the people I worked with. I love the culture of the company I worked at. So that's what I did in uh, in in high school and college: golf and framing. Um, When I graduated from Santa Clara, I honestly had no idea what I wanted to do. I I was a major in econ and Latin. Uh, I was a golfer. I had spent three or four weeks each winter throughout college. Uh, we were on the quarter system, so we had a, br- a big winter break, uh, going down to Barn and Boogle and spending time with the Sattlers mm-hmm. um, as they were developing their business. My dad and I would go down. Uh, my sister came on one of our trips. And then getting a uh, an extraordinary education in the sand belt, playing playing these great golf courses and – Michael Clayton, who you've had on on your show, was our our host through most of those. And there's nothing better than either walking or playing, Royal Melbourne, and listening to Clayton talk about the architecture. And, and we were joined by uh, Jeff Ogilvie, you know, several times. So to hear them banter about, you know, the really really um, the minutia, the minutia of the course and and the big themes, right? But all of it was, you know, I think that's maybe when I got, you know, the the, I'd been hooked on golf for a while, but that's when I got the bug and the interest in golf course architecture. Um, I had been privileged before then to play some great golf courses, but I, I didn't necessarily know why they were great, um, and that got me curious. Uh, so that you know, when I w- went home, I started you know looking at golf courses more closely and asking different questions and and trying to learn as much as I could. So went down there for three or four years for a month, uh, got to know the settlers and having no idea what I wanted to do. I I called Richard Sattler and asked him for a job he figured, um, I guess because I'd worked on on golf courses and because of the relationship he had with my dad that I I had more experience than, you know, the other operations, you know, non-manager employees, not, not much more experience, but uh, so I went down there and had an incredible year, worked round the clock all day, every day. It started with uh, me and Greg Ramsey um, in a single-wide trailer in the parking lot running the operations. Uh, the settlers were running the, the operations, but we were sort of down in the dirt, you know, uh, taking care of our guests and, you know, grilling burgers and, and brats and running the shop and selling, right? So if if, if there were slow times or if you didn't need both of us, somebody would be in the back selling, right? Calling clubs in, in real Melbourne, just trying to get people to barn Boogle. and by the time hustling. We were hustling, learned how to hustle. You know, well I, well I I think I had a sense of how to hustle, but yeah, we were hustling. It was fun. Um, but what I really what I realized was I didn't I didn't love operations. I wasn't great at operations. I what I was drawn to was the development work that Richard and Sally and then their, their kids were doing. Um, and I would spend as much time as I could learning from Richard uh, everything he knew. Uh, He and his wife Sally are are brilliant entrepreneurs. Um, He had developed several hotels in Hobart. Uh, He grew up on a farm. He left his farm to drive a truck, ended up buying the truck, then the fleet from his boss, cashed out, went into the hotel business. He knew his guests. He knew what was important, what was not important. Uh, so then when he risked, literally risked his farm, um, actually I cut out a piece. So he, he wanted his kids to grow up on a farm. He sold most of his hotel business, bought 16,000 acres of mostly undeveloped land that he developed into a farm, almost lost it all when the world price of sheep crashed, had built it back up when Greg Ramsey came along and tried to convince him to build a golf course, which he ultimately did. Um I forget where I was where I was going with that, but he he really knew development. He knew his customers. He he had never played golf in his life. He didn't really know anything about uh, he didn't know anything about golf course architecture and very little about golf. But my dad assured him that he would help with you know work with the architect and that everything Richard we had stayed at his hotels, mm-hmm. everything that he was doing in Hobart would be directly applicable to. Uh, barnbool and they were the same guests they're business travelers from melbourne and sydney and he richard totally gets it um so it was a perfect translation and he hit the ground running um
0: I, i imagine as a developer now like you look at i listen to other sports podcasts i read other stuff on on online and i see stuff in other publications i'm like oh you know, I could tweak that, and it would be a pretty cool way to do something in golf. Do you do you feel the same way when you go anywhere, whether it's even like a coffee shop or a restaurant or a hotel? Yeah, you can kind of you kind of pick and choose the little things that you like from places. Yeah, and adapt them to yours. Yeah, that's what makes it so
1: fun. Look, going back to as far back as I could remember, let's say six years old. You know, a huge part of the relationship I've had with my dad has been just observing. The businesses around us right and asking a million questions so you get into a taxi and my dad would just start asking questions to the taxi driver and afterwards we talk about what what do we like about that particular taxi and mcdonald's what is what are they doing well at this location and poorly at that location so we our relationship has from the start been based off of exactly what you just asked about right so since a little and and he would test us you know we would walk out of a restaurant you know what would you change What what did they do really well? Um, so that's that's just sort of intuitive, and it you know it's it might be a curse to the people around me because it's like you can't shut that off, right? Everything you see is something to learn from, either good uh, or bad. But but what makes working in the golf industry so fun is you, you're just always you know learning, and it's a it it's a good excuse to go see what the best do, right? And every time. If I'm lucky enough to go on a vacation, either you know with my wife or on a buddy's trip, you know I'm I'm leaving you know the trip with hundred notes. Here's what they did really really well. Here's something that you know as a customer I didn't like, and I wonder if we're doing something similar. You know, let's look into that and try to improve it. So it's it's um, yeah, it, ma- it makes life really fun because every day you know we're learning you know different different things and, and taking away hopefully best practices.
0: So so you're with uh, Richard and working, hustling at Barnboogle for a year? Yeah. yeah. So what did you do after that?
1: So, you know, I, I guess my takeaway was I wanted to be a Richard Saylor. I wanted to develop, and I realized I really wanted to develop golf courses. I talked to my dad about it. Um, he was a golf course developer, you know, by then. Uh, and his advice was go out and learn the technical skills to develop right? And it doesn't have to be in golf. They'll be applicable to golf. If you come work for me, you know, you'll never really have the confidence to know if you deserve to be on the team or not. You'll always be my Kaiser's son. Um, so go out and, and figure out what you like developing and gain some confidence and success. And then over time, if there's a good opportunity for us to work together, then we'll do it. But, but if not, you'll be you know happy. He knew I loved building. I love creating and imagining.
0: Well, in that carpenter, you know, do, so building fun. stuff as a yeah. kid. Like, I mean, that's that's neat.
1: It's really neat. And look, growing up, building forts at the Dunes Club before it was a golf course, just always building forts, always building trails with my dad, always planting trees with my dad. So I went back to Chicago, uh, interviewed, you know, it was a great time to be uh, working for a developer. I returned in 2004. Um, and uh, Got to know some great companies, got, got a lot of great advice uh, from people. And I could, I could talk for hours about you know, some of that advice. But um, really got lucky. I was lucky in the sense that um, I was introduced uh, to Dan Lucas and Mike Drew, who are the, the partners and founders of Structured Development. Uh, and I give myself credit in taking that job. It was, it was The salary it was the lowest offer I received. Uh, but it was so clear that these are guys I wanted to learn from, uh, they were so smart and they worked so hard and they're doing really cool projects, right? And there are some other jobs that I just, I saw a ceiling, um, not just salary, but in terms of what I could learn. And it was clear that their culture, you know, there was no ceiling, you know, there's, there's nothing below you and there's nothing above you. Um, so, you know, I would say outside of my dad, Richard Sattler was my first, you know, mentor. That I you know I think about lessons from him you know all the time, and and Dan Lucas and Mike Drew were, I was really lucky. It took a while to get their attention, even though it was a small company. I had no idea what I was doing when they hired me, and wasn't worth the small salary they were paying me, right? I mean, it, but eventually got their attention and um, just had a blast, you know, working working for them.
0: I think it's always uh, like when you switch careers, you I. I think it's so funny how you just become like expert and expert in these weird things. Like you'd never envisioned when you're growing up or you're in college, you're like, you know, I took a job in, in trucking and like all of a sudden I know like freight prices from Chicago to Atlanta. And it's like, what, why do I have this information that's going to forever be stored in my mind? It's you know? A, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, you just, you go into these things, you take a job and you know, nothing. And your job essentially is like you learn it on the fly kind oh, of. Yeah. A lot, in a lot of places, especially with what you're describing. So almost more like a, a startup um, culture at at that development shop because it, it, there was, it was very flat and you could see where you could go up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was abs- and every project was a startup. So we would do these big mixed use projects um, in Chicago and everyone was a new startup. You have to you know, you have to be just like in the golf business can't just be successful and hang up your hat right you have to earn it all over again uh, with each resort and within a resort you have to do it day in and day out and year in and year out. So yeah I've always admired people who uh, I don't know if they get bored or just want a new challenge but totally change careers and just start from scratch and some people just do that every every 15 or 20 years even when they're you know they've achieved great success and my dad's one of those people right he was uh, a greeting card publisher. And then, and then the next day, he was a golf course developer. You know, that's crazy. And people, you know, might think that he didn't know anything about... I mean, he wasn't a developer, but he was a curious person. And he'd observed retail golfers and restaurants. And, you know, he gets a lot of credit for golf, but maybe not enough for the hospitality side and the service side, which is, you know, he really... Uh, yeah, that's a big, a good job it's of, big part of, of, big of part the
0: resort. Yeah. Almost probably a bigger part than the golf courses.
1: It's it, it's all important. You, we we got to nail it at all. You know, it's all got to be. It's all got to be good.
0: So you're doing these mixed-use properties. Uh, what what would you say? Did were there any light bulb moments where you're like, oh wow, this this if we do this in golf, it would be. You, or what? What no. was the biggest basis that you learned from that experience? I,
1: ju- I just learned the confidence that you just figure it out. You have no idea what you're doing, but <laughs> but you're you're charged with accomplishing something. You just figure it out. And a lot of people don't have that confidence, and you just have to be relentless and grind and and and, and figure it out. Um, IFC had a lot of support at that that company, and I wasn't figuring out you know the big brilliant ideas that the the partners were. But, you know, starting with the smallest projects and tasks I was given going all the way up to the top, it was just the confidence of, you know, I was in my early 20s, mid-20s, late 20s, managing a dynamic team, right, of engineers, lawyers, you know, brokers, finance, you know, people in finance, you know, you have clients, most of mine were medical office spaces that you're working for. You know, it's, it's a dynamic team and managing them toward an outcome, in our case, building In my case, within the company, you know, delivering these medical office suites and then retail. And we did some, I did some industrial and some school. So that was what I learned was the confidence that you could just figure it all out. You know, with your analogy with trucking, you know, I think you have the confidence that you might not know anything about trucking, but you could just figure it out. Just ask a million questions and bug people with questions. Um, You just keep asking the right questions and and you'll get there. So that so the aha moment was when I finally had the confidence to to say, okay, I think I could do this on a smaller scale on my own. And then and then I left to, to do that to do really small developments, but they were mine. And right, and it was it was uh, I had the confidence to do that, and then being successful doing that that gave confidence. So then when I ultimately went to work um, with my dad, starting out with. Bandon Muni, I had some confidence that, you know, I, I didn't know everything about golf course development, but I think I could figure it out, and I was surrounded by so many brilliant people, that if I could ask the right questions, I think I could lead them toward, you
0: know, a, a vision that might be successful. Talk about Bandon Muni, that project.
1: Uh, it's heartbreaking, um, because it never got off the ground um, for political reasons. Um, but let's just, you know, focusing on the, um, the concept and then the architecture. My dad wanted to build, it was really, a, he wanted to give back to the local community. So the idea was, you know, if, if Andy Johnson came from Chicago, you'd pay, you know, full retail, but locals would pay $20. And if you took a junior caddy, you'd pay 10. So it'd be a, a local municipal golf course. There's 27 holes, you know, locals would tee off on one and resort guests would tee off at 10, 27 holes. You could double the number of rounds on, um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the land was phenomenal. It was really duney. You know, there are dunes at, at Bandon. Uh, but then there's, you know, there's different there's different landforms throughout mm-hmm. Bandon. You know, the trails, you go into the woods and out on, you know, 16th of Bandon, it's this really hard packed sand. Uh, this was pure sand dunes, right? Pure
0: link sand dunes. So more more along the lines of like a Scotland sand dunes.
1: Yeah, 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 Scottish or maybe even more Irish. Irish big, bigger. Big. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: I mean, it was that, you know, most dunes have this like push up, you know, this front. Bandon has front. You know, once you go over that ridge, uh, then it's flat forest. And when you look around the world at dunes, it's, you know, the sands getting pushed onto the beach, then blown from the beach onto, you know, generally... Within, let's say, a mile of the beach, you know, a high a high ridge. Uh, so this this had this high dune ridge after which it dropped off and was pretty flat, but it was about a mile from the ocean. So beautiful, pure sand site, gorgeous dunes. You know, Gil Gil Hans was hired to be the architect. Um,
0: and what year was this? Uh, Two
1: thousand. Well, I don't remember. 2010, 11. I mean, then 10, 11. I went from that to Sand Valley, so Sand Valley sort of started in 2013. So let's say 10, 11, 12. And I was doing. I was also working on real estate that we have in Oregon outside of the resort. You know, whether it's residential or we've logging properties or different different properties. So, uh, but uh, Gill's routing was just fabulous. I mean, it was it was 27 holes that all worked together. Every hole was different. Uh, it was outstanding. It was one of the best routings on some of the best piece of ground I've ever seen. And unfortunately, it was never built. There was an issue with the Bureau of Land Management that kept us from being able to trade trade for the land. Um, so it wasn't built. And it, that happens a lot for in the industry and for us. You know, if the public sees one resort, of course, that gets developed, there are many that don't, that fizzle out. And it's just part of the heartbreak of working in the business. You know, we're lucky to see all these great sites, but not every great site gets built on cool links. You know, there's the unfortunate news last week that that wasn't approved, and that's just that's part of it's part of the business, and it's it's heartbreaking. But you move on, and you know that there will be other great sites and other great properties. And lo and behold, we got a call from Craig Altam, and then we you know, we moved on to Sand Valley.
0: Yeah, it's got to be hard. Uh... Oh when you invest so much time into something and it has such a good, you know, mission behind it where you're giving back to the community, it's going to be affordable golf for locals. And then, you know, it was, it, the local government essentially was the one that kind of put it halt to it.
1: Um, yeah, but I, I mean, I guess I blame the federal government for federal. it, but, but you know, the local governments, um, for the most part, been very supportive in, in, in band and abandoned of, of our developments and there are local groups and there's we're talking about two three people who aren't supportive right and could create a lot of um you know resistance but the local government's been amazingly supportive uh of 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 Bandon and that's in large part because of the relationship that that Howard McKee built with the locals he spent 8 years working on the development you know getting Bandon off the ground he was there in person People knew him. That was one of the big, biggest lessons I took away from Bandon was uh, what Howard McKee did. So when we started San Sand Valley, I moved there, right, so that, you know, it wasn't these developers from Chicago or they, like, Trump or, you know, who are these guys? If, because these rumors spread in these small towns. So if anybody said, oh, they're going to do such and such, somebody else would say, no, they're not. Go ask Michael. He's over there in aisle six buying bread. Go talk to him, right? You're there and accessible, uh, that's what Howard did. I think that's why Bannon was successful, and I tried to emulate that at San Valley by embedding myself in the community. I was at the farmer's market every Friday, you know, knew, knew everybody in the community, so that you, know, you filled the void that rumors would otherwise fill.
0: I imagine that also helps you create unique culture and unique, almost develop, we were talking before we started recording, about sense of place. Is yeah. that it gives you, it, it, it weaves you deeper into the fabric of where you're building a, a resort.
1: Yeah, you can't play off the sense of place if you don't know the place. You know, just like an architect can't play off of, you know, can't riff off of micro movements or macro movements if they don't know those movements. You know, they have to put the time in the dirt walking the ground and knowing it intimately so that they could be inspired by it and use what's there, but also riff off of what's there, you know. So, yeah, I would, I would hope so. Um, I mean just, just this is a small example of it and I don't know why this popped in but local farmers market got to know this great music co-op right uh, there are these I remember the, the day there's two two women harmonizing one was on the bass the other the ukulele it was just awesome bluegrass right so we got to know them Learned about their co-op and said, "We want you to be a part of San Valley from the start." We have live music at San Valley five days a week, and it's it's their co-op, and they have a rotating group of musicians passing through the Midwest. We have you know fiddlers from all over the world and bluegrass artists, and so again, we wouldn't have probably met them had we not you know been been
0: there. Been there, yeah. and then it, it becomes part of your yeah. place because your place is here. Yeah. Um, it in terms of when with band and Muni what it doesn't get off the ground but what are some things that you took away from that project that you've you've used since then at at sand valley
1: um it's a good question um i guess for me it was the first time i spent any you know real time with the architects. so so walking with my dad and with jim wagner and gil hands and and Getting a better sense of what that relationship is and how that waltz works, um, I, I guess was the takeaway so that you know then when we started San Valley, it, it had some experience working with an architect, even though we weren't we weren't building. And it wasn't a tremendous amount of time, but it was enough to start to start to you know understand that. I'm, I'm struggling with the timing, but I guess I also did that at Cabot. I joined my dad on his trips to Cabot when, you, when, when he and, and Ben Cowan were developing links and then cliffs. So that was probably the most important uh, takeaway. And then, I mean, I, I had a blast. I, I spent a lot of time getting to know the land. So I guess I learned that I really enjoy that. I knew that was important, not just for the architect, but I think for the developer, to know the ground intimately. Um so that was maybe another takeaway that when we started uh, Sand Valley, I spent at least six months just walking the ground. So I so I knew it. So we could make decisions on you know where should the architect start, what ground did I like the most, um, or or what pieces of ground might complement you know one another as two courses and then three. So just just seeing, just seeing how it takes time. There's no other way to get to know a piece of ground but time. Just walk it you know, know all the deer trails, you know, just, just know everything about it.
0: What, uh, what, as most of the listeners probably won't, what, give us an inside look kind of when you're walking one of the courses or proposed courses or a routing with an architect or you're mid-construct, what are those conversations like?
1: Um... Just what are conversations with the architects yeah, throughout?
0: Yeah, talk about just like the whole <laughs> working with the in, in these walks where you walk and you're talking with them. What, what are you guys talking about?
1: A lot of different things depending on, on the time. I guess my mind went to, went to when we started walking with Bill, there you couldn't see more than 10 feet in, uh, in front of you because there are these pines, right? Mm-hmm. There's an agricultural. So most of our conversation was where the hell are we? Where are we going, right? Uh, but uh, joking aside, um, starting. Let me ju- let's just use dope because that's where we are today, right? So that's freshest in my yeah. mind. The conversation starts with, you know, the theme. What are we going to build? What's the what's the concept? What's the big idea? And and maybe that's where our contribution is is most important. Sometimes we generate that idea. Sometimes the architect does, and sometimes it comes out of a conversation. Um, I think in in the case of of doke's course it was his idea but it came out of a conversation uh, christopher and i are you know have a confidence that we could push the bound continue to push the boundaries in terms of in um unconventional routings we found our golfers love playing 18 holes and then a par 3 right um you know, we were talking recently about what are the most inspiring golf courses to you? For me, it's Bandon Preserve because it totally blasted through the mold of what golfers will travel to play. And I'm saying they go to Bandon to play the Preserve, but they go to Bandon and they play it, and they pay hundred dollars to play it. I mean, that's that, that's that's big. Um, Cabot Cliffs, six par threes, six par fours, six par fives. That's you know pretty mold breaking. And then Pacific Dunes, the, the back nine. Four par threes, three par fives, only two par fours. Uh, the 16th is one of the best holes on, on the resort. That's a short uh, par four. And then the 13th, which is you know, one of the most epic holes on, on the property. That, that's an unusual uh, scorecard for it's the ba- back, ba- it's back nine. It's an
0: unusual balance.
1: It's <laughs> an unusual balance. But they're the best holes, and it's the best balance for that piece of ground. you know. And what my dad let Tom do there was just go find the greatest holes. I don't know if most developers would have done that. Um, and I don't know if most architects would have, would have been comfortable doing that. You know, would they be ridiculed? But Thomas, just, he's just committed to the best golf holes. So, you know, Christopher and I want to, you know, continue to explore the boundaries of what our guests uh, will like. Uh, this, I guess going backwards in time, the sandbox started as what I wanted to be a putting course. What I saw at the preserve was a lot of people talked about the last hole, which the caddies encouraged them to play with a putter, and i just see how much fun people have playing a full-length par three with only a putter. It's a downhill hole, and you could just bunt it down. It And, you know, if you had a decent shot at somewhere on the green. And people love that. So I asked Jimmy Craig to consider routing. I called it a par two course at the time, but in reality, you know, how many of us can get down in two from 80 yards? But a, a course that you would only play with your putter. So he started doing that, but then he said, you know, he'd say, "Mike, come over here. Look, look at this tee. You know, don't you want to hit this shot too?" And I, I'd, I'd say, "Yeah, I do. I really want to hit that shot." You know, but that's more of a wedge, and there's a bit of a force carry. So he started with that concept, but he took the conversation uh, much further, right, and broadened it, and made it more interesting. Frankly, um, it made it a lot more interesting. But we still have, you know, the tees that you. could. You could play with a putter. It started there and the conversation evolved into what it is today, which is a mashy course, right? Holes between 60 and 140 yards, which is different than, you know, you're not hitting, you know, five irons into those greens. So, with seeing how much fun people have at the preserve and are having at the sandbox, Chris and I started thinking what if the next course we built at Sand Valley wasn't an 18 hole, full length course? What if it was a precision course? Tom Doak had done. Of course, next to the preserve, a routing which I hope we build one day of drivable par fours and par threes. Um, And I thought, you know, could we do that for the next course here? Could that be like? Would people take that seriously and play it? Would you wake up in the morning and go out and play a precision course? Um, You know, just par threes, short par fours. So I I called Tom and said, you know, and I'm this isn't a, a job offer, but I'm curious if that were your one crack at sand valley if your commission was to build that type of course would you do it Um, and he said absolutely that's fun that's different i love it um and 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 another reason why we got there was this piece of ground that sedge valley sits on has been near and dear to my heart since since the start uh and we haven't developed it yet but it's just in my opinion perfect golf ground uh, but because the first two courses, it, it's a little tight in places, mm-hmm. and a couple of other brilliant architects have done more traditional routings on it, and it just didn't quite work. Right? It it didn't fit. There are a lot of great holes, but some holes it got a little awkward. Yeah.
0: So how how do you evaluate when you when you get a couple of routings on one ground? Is it just do you how, do you just keep walking it? And- we we
1: walk them. You know, when when my dad does it, and, and something that we've taken on is. Rating holes, 1 to 10, Doak scale, right? That, that's not a great way to, well, it is a great way, but it's it's one of several inputs. Uh, definitely bring a group, right? I and mean, that's something I've learned from my dad. It's not just our perspective. We're asking the retail golfer, what do you think about this hole? What do you think about this routing? What does it say to you? What, what do you love about it? What don't you love about it? Um, so, you know, and then trusting our own gut and, you know, reading, you know, the architect's you know, asking the architects what, what they think about their own routing, what they don't like. but So the other routings were, they had so many high points because the ground was so good and they're great architects, but it was it was too much golf and too small a space. So I thought this precision course could work really well on it. So Tom said, absolutely, I'd love to look at it, but would you consider another model that I've wanted to do for a long time? right? And then he talked about what you wrote about, which is, the, the current model, right, what we're building—a course like West Sussex or Rye or Swinley Forest—that um, is, you know, more more traditional, but you know, not not committed to any length or par. So he said, "Do you mind if I just spend some time out there and per- see if that fits and propose that?" And it, it sounded really cool. You know, I played those courses. I haven't played Rye, but I've played West Sussex and Swinley Forest. Um, some of the others he mentioned, and I never once thought of them as anything but great, fun, wonderful courses. If, if you ask anybody who plays Windley Forest what the par or length is, they'll. it doesn't stand out as being 6,000 yards or par 68. It's just a great golf course. That's the takeaway. And I hope that's the message with Tom's uh, golf course. So I was surprised to hear that those, those two courses in particular were not 6,800 yards par 72 because I just walked off saying, man, that was fun. Right, that was really fun. But so he explained that and it sounded really cool. Uh, and I talked to Chris about it and he went out. And as he does, you know, often, you know, he could, all these architects, including Tom, spent a lot of time on the ground, but he, you know, he's really good with topos and sort of, I don't want to say he mailed in uh, a routing because he spent time walking out there, but it was awesome from the start. You know, it's not going to require a ton of input from, from, for me or or, you know our family um it's a really strong routing as is so we're sold so that was the conversation it started as something that chris and i thought would be cool he took it i don't say the next level because i would like to build that concept at some Mm -hmm. point but he found something that was a better fit for this piece of ground that is so cool um so that's a very long winded way of saying where the conversation starts (laughs) <laughs> then we walk their routing with them in person, right? And we talk about what we like, what we don't like. Um, there's nothing but things to like so far in his golf courses. And the first five holes we've cleared are just spectacular. Um, but we, do, we start talking about themes. You know, he, he sees a lot of exposed sand on the first two, and he says, you know, what do you think about, it's in this beautiful, said Savannah, Savannah, can we just let that be? And, you know, the conversation is, yeah, it's beautiful. What can we do to help that now? You know, we could burn it, we could seed into it, you know, really uh, uh, lift up that surrounding prairie and and savannah. We talk about greens that we like. I mean, there's an email where it was sort of like, here are the things that are really important to me, right? Because it's important to get on the same page at the same point, uh, or on the same page early on. And then he did the same. Here's what's really important to me. And, and then we compromised on certain th- things. You know, I talked about just wanting really big greens, uh, which I like and I've learned from my dad. And he pointed out, you know, that certain holes, the fourth hole in particular, a big green doesn't make sense because of, because of its length, but also because of this perfectly natural green that's sitting there. It's phenomenal. Like, why change it and make it bigger? That's
0: the one that plays right up,
1: right? Yeah, it's, it's amazing how, you know, he found, you, you and I both like, dunes, and they have these great greens that are bench in, benched into hills. And I've always wondered—are those natural or did they, you know, manufacture them? And Tom's found these just perfect green sites on four and five that are just benched into the hill. So again, that was a quick conversation because he was totally convincing. Like, yeah, why would we? Why would we make that bigger? It's perfect as is. Uh, we we were talking about bunkers. You know, I've been uh, and and other people in the industry, but thinking a lot about bunkering. There's been a lot of flashy bunkers out there. I've always been drawn to like a lot of Scottish and Irish, Irish courses that have sort of economy of bunkering. They do so much with so little. There's fewer bunkers and the bunkers are smaller, but they're impactful.
0: And the contours around them gather them in. Yeah. it may make them play way bigger than they are, but from yeah. a maintenance standpoint, yeah,
1: maintenance is huge. Yeah, and St. Andrews is a great example of how they just you know they collect. Um, but then I also love I. I have a good sand sand game uh i'm a lousy golfer but i'm good out of the sand um but but i i don't love that part of the game i love bumping around on uh ground short grass with interesting contours you know that's why i love there's great bunkering in the sand belt in melbourne but there's also great short grass you know around the green so i love that type of shot i'm not great at it but i love being creative and trying because it's fun it's It's fun. it's different it's fun, and I've seen you do it. You're you're you are great at them, eh, uh, but getting worse. Well, uh, <laughs> still far better than I am. Um, so, and I think he's been thinking that as many people have. So we started talking about you know bunkers having fewer of them. You know, he and and Brian Schneider talked about bunkers that sit down on the ground or sit below level as opposed to. Flashing up, Mm -hmm. you know, and using some more of those an example. You know, I was uh, I've learned I think from my dad to uh, like some model, you know, so we know we're speaking speaking the same language. And one of the ones that they presented was, you know, Walton Heath, which has, I think, more bunkers than we would have. But so many of those either sit down below the surface, or they would just go and carve out a hole, and then put the earth behind the bunker to flash up a little lip. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's sort of clear that it's man-made. It's a little mound, but it's very elegant. And you see those, you know, when they started, you see those all over London, um, and in in places um, in in some of the older courses in the U.S. as well. So now we're talking themes, right? We 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 know that it's going to have five par threes, a number of short to meet, you know, drivable to short uh par fours we know what the out of play area looks like we've talked bunkering playability is a big conversation you know and 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 tom and brian have always said look we we like playability too we don't want our guests to but that's something i keep repeating and they know it is you know but part of my job is to defend the retail golfer right Mm -hmm. just make sure that you know everybody's you know having, having a lot of fun out there I'm not telling them anything they don't, they don't know. They're committed to oh, they're committed to playability as well. Um, and then green sites, you know, the most recent conversation, uh, Brian, Tom, and I were out a few weeks ago walking, and I was really curious to hear you know, what they were thinking for each of their green sites. And fingers crossed, you know, I'm hoping the answer is very little because sometimes, you know, they'll use what's there, and sometimes they'll riff off of that and build things up. But these first holes that were cleared, I mean, it's like just see them right now, and that was a you know they, they'll they'll polish them probably with the sand pro and might do a little dozer work, but it was really great to hear that they're going to do very little to the greens. Uh, the first five are like five of the most natural and, and best green sites on the property. They're they're amazing, and I'm just praying that as we clear trees, we find that that's the case across the routing. They're spectacular. Uh, green sites and they're all so different so again a short conversation you know what they're planning on doing is something that I'm really excited about Um, a big I don't want to say contentious but where we had a conflict of opinion um, in our conversations um, is a number of teen grounds you know we have six sets of tees, and we want you know everybody to be able to you know in some sense play the hole in the same way and Tom feels that, with fewer tees, with great design, that people with who, with different swing speeds and abilities can have fun playing a hole from the same tee. And I agree with him one hundred percent. Right? If you have a four hundred and eighty yard hole, and you have a eighty mile an hour, seventy five mile an hour swing speed, if if the architecture is interesting, you can have a lot of fun playing it. But I also know, so I agree with that. I also know that our average guest if they have to t- if they're forced to play three shots to a par 4 they don't they don't love that right you
0: ever think about just taking par off then yeah we talked about that we talked about that that day
1: i mean it was a really fun conversation and i love debating things with, with tom and brian cuz they're just so logical it's not emotional it's not personal the, you know it's just let's have a conversation and and look at it from different perspectives and at the end of the day, we came to a solution. I think everybody was happy with that uh, solution. <clears throat> but um, so that's the type of conversation you know you have. Are we going to have six T's? Are we going to have one T? And um, so the next conversations will be: um, is a piece of ground ready for irrigation? Those are generally you know um, not long conversations. And then the ultimate conversation. That, that we're involved in right i mean tom will have yeah. many 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 conversations with his team and yeah. we don't pretend to be architects right that's not our job but we will have conversations on if a green is ready for seating and in in the uh, and if fairways are ready for seating so fairways are they wide enough right we go for really wide fairways i think at sedge valley you'll have narrower fairways than the first two courses but you'll still have maintained rough, yeah. rough you have
0: you'll have- Wide corridors yeah. with less short grass, and
1: I only care about
0: corridors. Mm-hmm.
1: Frankly, most of us who are lousy sort of like that wispy rough, it's fluffed <laughs> up a little bit, you know. Whereas you don't, because you might get a flyer. Or it's really
0: unpredictable, a shitty
1: angle. It's unpredictable, you know. I love I love hearing good golfers talk about like the angst of a flyer lie because I just love balls that fly right. It's ah, like, oh, it pure. Mm-hmm. I love it. So, um, you know, greens, I, and I'm not referring to Tom, but conversations we might have. Uh, with an architect are the greens big enough or are they too severe mm-hmm. right and and we tend to tone our, our greens down relative to certain trends in the industry which you know are, are more i use the term wild and i think an architect would you you know use a different term maybe interesting or um, but i think we're on the same page they also know they know what we like i mean they 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 i think try to please their own creativity and sensibilities uh, but they also, you know, want a client to be happy, right? So they you know, if a client says, "I want you to build a championship golf course," Tom's not going to say no. He's going to say, "Okay, how can I build a championship golf course that tests the greatest players in the world, but is also fun for, you know, the daily golfer?" And and you've talked to Tom about the, the course he's building in, in Texas, doing that. Likewise, if a, if a if a client if we say we want a course to be really playable for people of all handicaps, he's not going to they're not going to fight that they're going to say okay that's that's the vision we're going to do that but we're going to figure out how to make it challenging for Andy as well right so um, I think as long as everybody knows their role I, I think what could be a problem is if an owner sort of thinks that they're an architect and one thing you learn really quickly when working with these geniuses is that you might be an armchair architect but you know these guys are, are smarter, more knowledgeable. They think harder about it. They've been thinking harder about it for longer, and they've been perfecting their craft for decades. And they surround themselves with team members who are all qualified architects in their own right. So I think it's important for an owner to know his place and know what he contributes. You know to defend the retail golfer and to set sort of you know either in, in partnership or on their own the sort of vision for what the course is going to be like. But then to let architects be architects. I've never once heard my dad, you know, talk about you know bunker placement ever, or dissect the strategy of a golf hole, mm-hmm. right? He, he trusts you know, at Ben and you know David and and Jim and Bill and Ben, and Tom to do that,
0: right? It's uh, I feel like it, when you go to golf courses, particularly you know more so new ones, is you can always see you can you no matter what you get the feel of the owner through the golf course you know it's likely if the owner's a better player the yeah. golf course <laughs> is going to be more challenging It's going to be a little bit more demanding and you feel that like you can see and and you know and then there's if you their golf courses that are more forgiving with they're they have different things in mind Something you said earlier about... Are your- you calling
1: the, Ka- the Kaisers lousy golfers? No, I'm not Because we know. are. We are. We're lousy golfers. <laughs> I'm
0: not, I'm not, I'm All three of us are lousy golfers. <laughs> yeah. Something you said earlier uh, about, about uh, Chris and you, you're, you want to continue to push the boundaries. Yeah. Talk about where that motivation comes from
1: um part of it is just creative like wanting to do something different and and not do something that's already been done right i think that's a big part of it but the the biggest reason for doing that is f- ensuring that our guests have fun right you want them to to have fun and i think look when i say push the boundaries we're not necessarily doing anything that's innovative everything that we're doing in any, any way we may push a boundary has been done before in the uk right so the, these, these arrows in the quiver that we pull from have been done before. And, and we've played them, and they're wildly fun. Uh, so when we push the brown boundaries, it's really in going back into the game's history and pulling forward some of the ideas that may have been lost, or, or at least lost on the American uh, golfer. So what I mean specifically by that, more par-3 courses. I mean, I think the ratio for us at a resort is 3 to 2. I think for every three golf courses we have, we should have two par-3 golf courses. You know, sandbox is way oversubscribed. For two golf courses, you can't get on the sandbox. We need to build another one, especially with Tom Doak's uh, course uh, coming. I think a precision precision course, right? Um, and by that, I mean short par fours and par threes. I think most golfers prefer playing par threes and, fi- and find the, the best par threes to be the most fun holes. And and that might just be because they only have one opportunity to screw it up, right? So they get to hit greens, and then have everybody but, but they're also you know beautiful. They're easier to frame.
0: I think it's something too. There is that the par three. You're it's more of a community game there because yeah. there's less time to get away from your playing partners. It's you're spent and less that's distance. That's the thing with the sandboxes. You're always you're always within speaking distance yeah. of of the people you're playing with, and that. It's a completely different experience than golf, is where when you hit your drives, everybody diverges.
1: Yeah, in my groups, absolutely. Uh, You know, I I might go on a walkabout, you you might not see me for 10 minutes until I get to the green, you know, six (laughs) shots later. But it's such a great point. I think that's why people love the Par 3. That's one of the main reasons, and I think you nailed it, why people love the Par 3 courses. Because the banter never stops. There's never a break in the conversation. So if you're out with your buddies or your family, you know, it's, at Sandbox, we see, you know, families, mom, dad, you know, their kids playing golf, or, uh, uh, you know, a lot of groups playing sums. the heckling, the betting, you know, it, it never stops. It's just pure fun the whole time. And that's sort of the most fun part of golf, right? Being being with people. It's a social game. And as, as wild as I am off the tee, sometimes it's not so social. It's a very isolating game being 200 yards from the fairway.
0: Yeah. it's uh, It's. I mean, that's why you go with your friends to go golf is to be with them. You know?
1: There's a course, which I hope we get to talk about sometime in the future, but that um, Chris and I have hired Jim Urbina, Uh, to build but and it's um, what's different about that is we've we've, you know just said we love par threes Um, we really love short and medium length par fours right Mm -hmm. so it's okay don't worry about the par don't worry about the distance and don't feel like you need any meaty par fours in there right and maybe that will keep it from being the perfect golf course but if I don't have to hit a four or three iron into a green all day I'm okay with that Right, and you probably need to be challenged with every club in your bag. I don't, I don't carry a three or four iron. You know, I am three wood, five iron, seven, eight pitching, uh, and I don't really want to want to hit that shot. Um, you know, we you and I were talking recently. and You mentioned how much you love the sixth hole at Prairie Dunes, which is a short par four. If there was a golf course filled with holes like that, to me, that and par threes, some fun par fives, I'd be happy forever right so i think that's maybe unconventional it's, you know urging an architect not to have a hole longer than th- there will be holes longer than 350 but to weight it with holes like number 6 at prairie dunes 17 at stream song red 16 at pacific dunes 2 at pacific dunes and you know i could play those holes all day long play them differently every single time i play them you know a driver and then a 5 iron off the tee and so I think that's different Um, courses that are designed for women. I mean, we're great with team lengths for people of all swing speeds, but um, people with lower swim speeds, which sometimes correlates with, you know, women um, have a different apex and role and dispersion. And, you know, throughout Great Britain, you have golf courses built for people with lower swing speeds. I got hooked on the game. I got the bug playing 36 at Dornick with my dad and then going off and until it was dark, which might be 11 o'clock at night, playing the street course over and over and over and over, play over 100 holes a day because I could get there in two, right? Mm -hmm. It was tighter and um, we don't have those in this country. So no wonder it's such a male-dominated sport. I think eventually we need to think about building not just tees, which is something I think innovative that my dad's done, but golf courses for women and younger players.
0: And and with golf, everything's driven towards how can we test the male professional, but testing the male professional is almost like the opposite direction of testing the, the woman professional Yeah, because they, they're much more precise. You know, their dispersions are like you build in 50 yards wide, like, you know, that uh, a great, you know, accurate, woman player like they can keep it within you know and and it's just complete in the hazard placement would be so different and it would
1: be tighter right mm-hmm. and, and not it's not just distance its dispersion is huge and then how much the ball rolls after it
0: lands cuz then you could get so you know the contours around the greens matter so much more mm-hmm. and that's where the interest the design interest can be it can be so much different you know really what you're talking about is variety and it's something that's interesting, what you said is like, well, you know, it might not be the perfect course. I think about this a lot, is that I get the perfect golf course, and you, know, you go play the the 10 best course in the world, but a lot of times the courses that stick with me the most stick with me for varieties of reasons. Yeah, And it could be the way, you know, one that I always think about is Diamond Springs, mm-hmm. which is a DeVries course... Uh, with Chris Schumacher in Hamilton, uh, Michigan, and what I like just love about it is, it's a thirty-five dollar local course in a rural town, and it knows what it is. Wow. It's a great golf course, but it's maintained to be a thirty-five dollar course. It's mm-hmm. got single row irrigation, mm-hmm. you know, uh, single cut <laughs> grass. If you go on and read like Golf Advisor comments, it's funny because everybody complains about yeah. the fairways being you know, a half-inch long. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's why it costs you 35 bucks sure. because they aren't trying to be something. And it's, you know, they just go out there, they gang mow it, and then the native is absolutely perfect. And yeah. it's got this great set of greens, but nobody would say it's a perfect golf course. But that's one that left, like, a lasting impact on me. It's like, here's a, a perfect example of how you can make affordable golf. Mm-hmm. And with th- with what you're talking about is, like, you know pushing ideas everywhere doesn't have to be the world's greatest golf course, but you can have a golf course that's not one of the best courses in the world, but is one of the most memorable courses in the world, sure.
1: Yeah, you know, Chris and I sometimes we've started saying using the term best in show, right? That because uh, it's hard, how do you compare a part three golf course, you know, to Shinnecock? They're just so different, but so. If we're going to build a Par 3 course, we want to build the, the greatest Par 3 course that we can, right? And if we're going to build a championship course, we want to build the greatest championship course possible. If we're going to build a local municipal golf course that, you know, you could charge 20 bucks and maintain for $300,000 a year, that's its own category. We want to do the best possible. So it's about doing the best work you can given, you know, the the – specific product that you're trying to and, achieve yeah
0: what you're trying to achieve right yeah. it's all about the focus because like you could make a case and people would think this is crazy but like that the sandbox is the most successful golf course you have at, at sand valley and sure. people and a lot of people would be like it's a 17 hole par three course yeah how can you say that and it's not like the other courses aren't i mean they're both wildly successful but
1: given the hooting i mean it depends on how so how do you measure it the hooting and hollering and the fun that you have, it's got to be up there near the top, right, in terms of uh, on, on the property. And, you know, it uses less resources. They're cheaper to build. It is the highest RI on the property. Part three courses are great investments, right? They're, they're, there's less turf on that entire golf course and, and heads than there are on one hole, you know, of, of the resort. So, yeah, I mean, I, basically the bottom line is we want to measure success through happiness and enjoyment, Right, we have that be the only measure heads
0: on the entire sandbox? Oh, yeah. Than one hole.
1: Yeah, one of the bigger holes that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah.
0: Why? Why don't more? Why haven't more municipalities turned to, to less conventional?
1: I have no idea. We're, we're trying to do it. You know, uh, here here in Madison, it'll happen. There'll be a lag. Uh, I think municipalities will be forced to consider um, alternative. Ways of um, entertaining golfers in their communities for a variety of reasons, but the biggest is economic. Um, so I think they will. I think I think there there have been some. I mean, you mentioned you know you, you mentioned one, and Wild Horse is one of my favorite. Well, my favorite municipal course, you know, in, in the country in in Nebraska. So I think they will. It might why, just take a why while. Why is Wild Horse your favorite? Um, it's just a, it's a fabulous golf course and it, it's 50, I think 55 bucks with a cart on a Saturday in the summer and the price goes down from there. So I think it's the greatest value. They're interesting, thoughtful golf holes designed by Dave Axland and Dan Proctor you know in the sand hills of Nebraska. Um, they're fun holes to play. They're all different, you know is it uh, pound for pound. And what you're paying, it's just great value. It's, of course, you'd be happy playing every Saturday, right? It's just, it's awesome. Um, So, you know, Wolf Point, which is maybe, maybe was the most exclusive club, right? A club for one, you know, this guy and his best friend would play every morning. I actually think the architecture and the way it was built is the perfect model uh, for municipal golf course. You know, outside of the greens, everything is cut with a game more at one length, yeah, right? it's pretty high length. Um, so for me, I love it. I could spray it all over, but you know, people have called it, you know, like St. Andrews and in, in Texas, the angles are so important. So I'm just happy that I'm in the fairway, whereas you're, you know, really trying to be in, in the right position to come at these greens from the right angle so you could get close. Um, so one height, except for greens, they they had. I, I know it sold like last week in auction, and I don't know what's going to happen to it. But they had three part-time uh, people on the maintenance crew maintain the whole golf course. Now they were maintaining it for one person, so that would be different if there were thirty thousand rounds. But the way it was designed uh, made it a lot easier to maintain for less cost. And I think municipal courses should uh, should, should build should hire Mike Nuzzo to build golf courses like Wolf Point or, or other talented architects.
0: Yeah, that's. I, I think that's. Uh... That's the thing that gets so lost with the whole everything is designing it to be maintained for very little amount of money. Like yeah. really interesting design that comes with a low maintenance bill. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of municipalities end up going the opposite way where it.
1: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, if, if you ask a lot of golfers, they they would think that the course that's in, quote, better condition is a better golf course than some of those others that are in lesser condition. So I don't, I don't know how to change that perception and get the priorities right. So that people are looking for the most interesting architecture. I think, you know, through podcasts like yours, hopefully, you know, creating awareness in the general golfing community, uh, or at least among, you know, I think your listeners are the leaders in the golfing community and, and those ideas flow out from them. Um, but you need to change that priority, and it has to start with the retail golfer, where th- where they want to pay, sure. whether it's ten bucks or fifty bucks or hundred bucks, they want their money to go into great architecture and not necessarily sure. into flawless fairways. Askernish in Scotland is—I uh, don't know what they spend maintaining that golf course, but it's very little. I don't remember too many bunkers. Um, and, but it's a perfect golf course. That, it's not a perfect golf course. It's a course you, you would just be delighted playing every day of the week. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so. Um, so there, I, I think there's many more of those courses you know in the UK than in the US. But they they figured out how to do it, and, and a lot of that is not caring what their fairways look like. Fish, Fisher's Island, which is you know a very elite golf club, a fabulous golf course architecturally, and and the most stunning you know. Or spectacular views, mm-hmm. you know. Anywhere, it, I I just have so much respect for. They've never put in even single row irrigation. They don't have fairway irrigation. They, they don't. They don't care. You know, they're proud of the architecture of their golf club. And I think they, you know, if if only everybody had, you know, if, if they hosted the Masters, maybe everybody would have tried to, you know, be like be like them. Um, but you know that 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 should be the example you know, that we follow just great architecture, stunning architecture, but you know, everybody has an equal chance of getting a good or bad lie in the fairway. It all evens out, play it where it lies and don't worry so much about perfectly consistent, immaculate, you know, fairways.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, there's always been a strong element of chance in golf and the more uniform you get with, with conditioning and the expectations of golfers gets higher the less and less chance and the more and more bad luck becomes a frustration point for yeah. golfers. That's the, the other thing It's sure. the, like is rub of the greens it's always been a big part of the game. And that's kind of part of the game. It's like, it, it's part of the challenge is yeah. when you get bad breaks dealing with them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there's a skill in that. Uh, and it, there's a, the skill is your one's character and it's a great revelation of someone's character. This is an odd side point. Uh, being a lousy golfer, one of the reasons I'm lousy is I don't hit down on the ball enough. I don't compress it. And I found you're a sweeper. I'm a sweeper. Uh, I'm a
0: sweeper too.
1: You're you're a much better sweeper than I am. I'm a chimney sweep, but I hit some of my best golf shots when I end up in a divot. And I'm sort of hoping I'm in a divot because the only way out you can't sweep it out of a divot because you're just sweeping the top of the ball. You have to hit down on it. And and I'm amazed some some of my best shots are when I'm in a divot because i am forced to hit down on the ball so maybe maybe we should praise for you know being in more divots
0: what um uh, we talked a little bit earlier about like the hustle in, at barn boogle and the first time i visited sand valley it was you know single trailer it, you know sand everywhere no structures and every time i drive back now i'm like oh man look at this it's just you know the, it's just building it's growing up I imagine that your job changes so much when the the skills required at the beginning stages of a resort versus, you know, as you're scaling it are so different. Do you do you prefer one part of it more than the other?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, but there's there, yeah. So when you look at all the jobs at a resort, they change over time. What I, my focus changes less. It does change, but I'm not deeply involved, you know, in, in the day-to-day operations of a golf resort. So that changes once you're open. You need to operate it right and deal with hundreds of, of people a day, you know, passing uh, uh, through. So in terms of what I do, I guess I'm always a year to two to five years out ahead, right? Developing and planning what's going to come. Um now getting the first hole out of the ground, there's maybe some skills that are different than when you're onto the third course, but uh my my job it changes a ton hour to hour and day to day, right? There's so many different things going on at, at a resort. But year to year there's there's general um there's general consistency. What I would say is this sounds odd, but the greatest uh letdown is the day the course opens or the day after, you know, the day it opens, Chris and I are the first tee at sand Valley. You know, my dad's on the first tee at Band, and you know, and you're just seeing excited fun golfers and that energy is amazing. There's nothing better. Um, although <laughs> the, 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 the Texans, I remember when San Valley opened, it was like a freak cold mm-hmm. <laughs> windy day and, and we were, we were teasing Mr. Well, we, we were all just joking about how it was, it was, it was a miserable day, but it was a delightful day. Um, the process is so enjoyable and rewarding. I mean, it's hard. I mean, it, it's, it's brutally hard, right. To, to get, as you know, to get any business off the ground, but it's, it's also extremely fun and rewarding. And the day it's over, it's like, we got to go on to the next thing right it's an addiction and i I, my personality didn't let me just enjoy it and you know we're there let's soak it up a little bit let's relax let's enjoy it it's it's already on to we got to do this again right so i guess what changes is once it opens there is a focus and and we have you know some involvement you know in the operations sort of big picture um but but it's a letdown when we open we have to go do it again and, and we're never going to stop because we, we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to just hold court, you know. In the that'd be the, like bar. the
0: worst thing that could happen to you is if they just said you can't do anything right. Now. That'd be the
1: worst. And you know, I, there, there we're never going to run out of golf sites. You know, we we've, I've worried about that in the past, and I think people have talked about that. There's millions of great golf millions of great golf sites around the world. So we're not going to run out of sites. I do start to worry. You know, our main focus are these destination golf resorts. You know, eventually will we begin, you know, and, and that would be a great problem if we're lucky enough to start saturating the market. But but then we would do, you know, regional golf resorts. You know, I would love to spend time in my life building great, affordable municipal golf courses. You know, that's that's something that I, you know, I hope years from now we can be talking about some of those that we're doing, um, like the courses that we we're just talking about. Uh, but we'll, we'll. I I'll never stop. And I, knowing my brother and, and my dad, they're they're never going to stop either. So we're going we're we're to keep going.
0: It's funny how that, like how your worries change. Like you just talked about, like you know. Like, and I get a lot of people that message me, and it's like, you know, when are the? Isn't? Aren't they going to run out of sandy site? Aren't, isn't the world? And I'm like, you know, how much sand there is out there.
1: Yeah, think yeah. It's um, when you start looking for it and finding sites, which I now spend some of my time doing. It's then you're relieved. at, you know, the challenge is whittling it down to the best sites, and then ninety nine percent of the challenge is is then getting it done, right? Uh, but we're, no, we're never golf is never going to run out of sites. I mean, for environmental reasons, coastal sites may become harder and harder to develop uh, partic- in this country and in the EU. Um, so those might be off the table at some point, uh, but fabulous golf. I mean, if you drive, we we I did a drive this summer from Valentine, Nebraska to Denver, Colorado, and the entire drive, you're looking left and right, and you're seeing nothing but great golf courses, right? And that's on one road, you know, and that's just one region in our country uh, and one country on the planet. There's a huge percentage of our, planet is, is sand and we're not going to run out of sand sites.
0: Yeah. It's amazing when you drive through an area and, and like, it's really, it's almost hard to drive because yeah. like, uh, you can just see the holes going and it's uh, what's uh, you say you, you enjoy your, enjoy the conclusion. It's almost bittersweet. It's, it, it,
1: it, it's, it's more bitter or it's more bitter c- because the process is so sweet that it, almost the only thing we're left with is it's over. I, I, and it's not over there's new challenges and new joys but the, the fun isn't doing it
0: what's the, what's the point where you take the most satisfaction in a new course build
1: um, I would say when like like in the early stages of developing a concept so it went either finding a new site or this project that we're working, with Jim Urbina on, you know, those those first moments, first time we see the site, when you're looking around and seeing nothing but golf holes in all directions, when anything is possible. That, that's the fun point, when anything is possible. And then it's also fun to start whittling that down into a reality, which is your vision, right, or your shared vision, right? It's a very collaborative process. Um, so, but those those first moments on a site, you're just starting, you know. It's like being on a first date, right? I remember mm-hmm. when I when I met my wife. And, you know, those those first dates are so exciting. Anything is possible, and I want to get to know this person and spend every, you know, and like the, my everything my else in them. the world,
0: it goes, just shuts off. Yeah. and it's the the it's like almost like a maniacal focus yeah. on what I I remember when I met my wife. It was you know like I I was sitting at a bar with a bunch of buddies, and then like. I met her and then it was, it was everything else, nothing else mattered for the, you know, and it was just, it, it, and I imagine when you get in a creative process, it's very similar. Like where I'll be doing something, whether it's writing or working on something Mm -hmm. and I'll realize it's like, it's like 8 PM. I haven't been out of my basement in eight hours. (laughs) I haven't eaten anything. I haven't drank anything. And And, and I imagine that's, Getting lost in in a project,
1: yeah, and then oh, it's dark and we're three miles for, oh, we got to make our way back. How did it get dark? Um, and then any of the moments spent with the architects, you know, m- most you know most of what I guess I do is not that glamorous, right? It's not, you know, mm-hmm. walking with Tom Doak or Bill. And um, and there are other really fun, you know, as we develop restaurants, that's fun, and, and lodging. But really, any time spent with the architects or, or with my brother and my dad, you know, on the ground, and th- those are the most fun. But the early days are really, really exciting.
0: It's the hustle.
1: Yeah, well, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I guess so. I guess the hustle begin. It's the beginning of the hustle.
0: Yeah, that's um, it. I, I struggle... With, once I get things going with with then just like keep going on them uh-huh. like I always want to start new stuff yeah and, and it's you know I have to get on myself about like no, you can't just abandon doing this because people like it you know it's like but there's always i, I think there's different personality types and and being your builder you know you want to you always want to be working on the next thing
1: yeah i mean it's, it's re- i think it's hard for anybody who's who's creative but it's really important and i've noticed people are successful they focus on one thing until they see it all the way through to fruition and at a a resort whether it's the next golf course or you know we could cater there's just so many directions we could go in Mm -hmm. and my personality goes my mind goes in a lot of directions and one of the things i'm proud of is staying completely focused on the project, whatever the the sub project is, the golf course, the hotel, the restaurant until, until we're there. Right. And you're never there. You're always refining it, but okay, now let's go to the next step. You know, so do, to force myself to be linear and here's step one there's step two then step three now we could get into this area but it took five years and we had even though we wanted to do it in years zero through five you know we waited because we're and that's that's discipline right and it it takes discipline when you have a mind that does tend to go in a lot
0: of uh it's getting it somewhere where it's ready to hand off yeah and and where somebody that can execute it to the end is and that's you know that's like some it's so relatable to so many other businesses
1: i think starting any business yeah i mean but, but, yeah i agree
0: mm-hmm. so what, talk about personalities of architects you spend a ton of time with architects you've worked you know at sand valley alone and now you're working with tom but you work with uh bill and ben and david mcclay kid do you notice that do each of them have different kind of Things that they that are different personalities that yield different strengths and different you know from what they bring to the table. Uh,
1: yes, they all very different personalities. To start with, they're all just delightful people that you want to spend time with and really wonderful human beings, right? And um, you know, I, I think deservedly, Bill and Ben have that that reputation on, you know, not just being brilliant architects, but being really wonderful human beings and caring about the people in their lives and treating all people uh, that they interact with with respect. Um, So, and and that's deserved. You know, I think uh, I didn't, well, I knew David a little bit when he was young and maybe more brash, but I've known him now, I guess, more in his 40s. And I won't, I don't, I won't, I don't know his age now, but he might be, maybe he's fifty now. I but
0: I feel like I, was, I thought I saw it was, his, it was a big birthday last. Let's
1: just call it his fortieth birthday. He's forty, <laughs> but but he's a really wonderful person, and and not enough. Pe- I guess I guess people who know him know that, uh, and he's he's very empathetic. Our staff loves him. He treats he treats people you know so kindly, and he really cares about the people he works with. The you know, um, and and from what I know about Tom, he's you know his his team loves him, and he's been such a, a delight to work with. You know, he's uh, so they're all just as a starting point. These are really wonderful you know human beings, and that's mm-hmm. the most important part. And I to me that's a prerequisite of you know you need to be smart, right? You need to be really hardworking. They all are. But you also have to be a good person, right? Because we only get one crack at this life, and we want to enjoy it. Um, to answer your question, I think I think you know there's, there's fast brain, slow brain, right? Um, I think Bill and Ben are extraordinarily deliberate. Um, they do, you know, they'll have you know the reputation to admit, which is earned to maybe sit, you know, in a single place for hours on end and stand. Or you know, uh, Dick Youngscaps tells a story about you know seeing Bill Core down on his. You know, belly just looking at the horizon for like. Get hey, back hours later, still there. But he thinks really hard and long. Right? He's very deliberate, um, and and he work. You know, he works and his whole team and, and Ben. They they work. You know, they work past dark. You know, Jimmy Craig would would just br- bring his car out to a green and put the floodlights on and keep going. You know, night wouldn't stop them. So. That whole team is really deliberate. Nothing is rust. Let's really think this through. David has a very fast fast brain, right? I mean, he's, he's very intuitive, you know, and he has these flashes of brilliance where, where it comes to him in a flash. And that's not, neither method is mm-hmm. better, but David has a very fast-running, you know, brain, and he gets inspired, and boom, that's it. Let's go. And he'll come up with an entire... Great concept, and you know, in a moment, he doesn't. You know, he does grind. All these architects have to grind. He grinds through it, but I've seen he has more flashes. Their methods are different. I think Bill and Ben fill more. I think Jason Way wrote an article for you on that, and and David tends to cut. Um, And um, you know, Tom's personality. Um, and these are big stereotypes because they all have such dynamic personality. Yeah. Seems to be very analytical. Um, you know, he's seen you know maybe along with Darius Oliver, you know more golf courses than anybody else on the planet, and, and thought really hard about every single one of them. And he has just this repertoire of images and ideas in his head that he has spent a lot of time thinking about, thinking hard about, logically about, talking with people about. He's so thoughtful and analytical, um, but I'm still I'm still getting to know know him and, and what his personality is. I, I find his whole, you know, he wrote look, he wrote Confidential Guide, and I know that shocked some people. I find I find Tom so refreshing because. You know, it's 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 not emotional. It's not personal. Honesty. It's just honest, and and you don't see a lot of it, right? And we all tend to, you know, try to soften the message and sugarcoat it. And um, he 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 doesn't, and I really respect that.
0: Um, he's he's very authentic.
1: Yeah, you and, know what you're getting.
0: And I think that's one of the things that it. Everybody's got everybody's personality is they're all their own artists right yeah and there's a lot of different personalities within the art artists repertoire it's just a it's an interesting thing to think about because as i've gotten to know all all of them you start to see the personality in their work Mm -hmm. you know and it's like tom is always going to be trying to push you know and do something new like he's he's somebody that is you know he does not like to build the same type of golf course. Yeah. Like, and he will, I feel like that's the thing that he least wants to do. Yeah. Because if, if somebody said, Hey, I want you to build another Pacific dunes. He'd be like, I'm not the guy for your job. Yeah. You know,
1: and that's really cool. Right. And he's going to keep, he's going to be, and he's going to be pushing boundaries because he just doesn't have interest in doing anything twice. Yeah. Uh, but I think that could be said in different ways to, to, you know, to all these great architects that they're, they're not, that, you know, they're not if you know, I don't think Bill wants to do another sand hills, you know, or another trails or he wants to try some something different. But sometimes, you know, you asked Tom about, you know, what which of his holes would he template and maybe sometimes they should if it's a great theme, you know, maybe they should they should go back and
0: play play off of it. It's interesting to think about with like uh with Rainer and uh and like McDonald and the, the, the templates and and how I, I guess you know modern art is people love them you I think it's because people know what to expect in a way mm-hmm. you know like they know what they're getting into and they can recognize it and they I think people like the familiarity of them
1: when they're already familiar with the strategy yeah right so over time it's either been explained to them or they've learned it through repetition and it's nice to have that advantage on the tee to know you know what the objectives are and what you you know uh, so maybe there's something there that, that the strategy is.
0: Maybe it's their. They don't uh, golfers hate discomfort, and templates make them comfortable. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. I mean,
1: uh, obviously, this isn't an original observation, but you know, jazz standards. You know, uh, jazz musicians love creating new music, but they also love riffing off of a standard, mm-hmm. right? And and there's you know, Caravan is one of my favorite you know, songs, and everybody plays it differently. And it's cool to see how, uh, you know, Rainer, you know, and, and McDonald use templates. It'd be neat if it was more common. And, you know, Tom and Bill do, you know, Redans. But if it was more common just to see how a different artist interprets a different standard. Um, again, that I love hearing, and a lot of jazz standards, but Caravan is played by so many different people, and it's like they're
0: different songs. Uh, so... So, with you guys, it, it, you've done most of your golf course. People would put it in the minimalism bank, whether, whether you like the word or not. You know, whether you like the stereotype, they they're very lay of the land. Would you guys ever think about doing something drastically different, where it was a a type of facility you just that is you take a site and you completely transform it? Uh,
1: think about it. I don't know if we'll ever do it. Um, but we've, I've, I've, thought about it. Um, uh, you know, one thing my dad's talked a lot about is rebuilding the Lido, right? Mm-hmm. So that would, that would be building of course that's already been built, but also the original Lido was completely manufactured. Um, I've thought about it. The, I actually, I called Mr. Core recently to just to, just to have a similar conversation because here's what I was i'm curious about there are times when you know these architects have to manufacture teas or greens compared to the the guys who move you know millions of acres it's nothing Mm -hmm. right but it's not to say that they're never moving any any dirt at all and you know the architects we're lucky enough to work with you'd never you'd, you'd never know uh they're so good that i've started to wonder um this is going to sound blasphemous, but, you know, if if Bill Core wasn't constrained, you know, by God's starting point, <laughs> what might he come up with? Right. If it if if like Lido, it was a blank palette, pure sand mm-hmm. and just just what you know what it, what's so you're not riffing off of it. I'm, I'm just really curious what he might uh come up with and i suspect it might it might maybe i don't know maybe it's even better we're so lucky in that we have access to such great sites that i think it's it's a fun thing to think about but it will probably always remain sort of an intellectual conversation because if you have this perfectly flat piece of sand um versus a great site how could you it's almost like our responsibility there's always gonna be the perfectly flat site. So I think it will always be pushed off into the future and therefore never done because why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you develop? But with the exception of, I would say the Lido at some point, um, I mean, that was such a spectacular golf course, um, to restore that at some point in time would be, it's, it's some, I know that's something my dad's wanted to do for a long time and I've caught the bug. It's something I want to do. Uh, so, and, and I know it's something that Chris is excited about, too. So at the right moment in time with the right site, I think we'd do the Lido. And um, gosh, I would love to see... I don't think we'll do it, but I'd love to see what any of these architects would do with a... Like carte blanche. Just carte blanche site. And uh, so, um, you know, another thing that's been talked about and Bill and Ben have talked about for a long time is, you know, should get somebody who knows nothing about architecture to go and just rough it up and then come back thirty years later. And in some sense, that's what happened at Streamsong. Yeah. Right. And it resulted in a really great landscape for golf. Um, so if, if you don't know how to find a great piece of land or you know, if it seems out of reach, then then just go just go mess it up and if it's sand. Uh, and then let God take over for thirty years, and come back. And if you don't have thirty years, come back twenty years or ten years.
0: That's, I, I've gotten a long conversation with Mike Cocking this summer about something similar, about the idea of just of just like you know having somebody and and not communicating with the person that went out there and moved all the stuff around. Just yeah. have them just go crazy for like a week, moving dirt all over the place. And then just leave it for a couple of years yeah. and come back. But then the economics, I imagine, of holding the land would be one of the problems, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, certainly.
0: Because that's what we, we got talking about this because we talked about how, how golf kind of started to get built in these funnels. And they build all the, this – they create all this stuff on the outside – Whereas if you almost routed over all the stuff they created and built the golf over it, whereas as opposed to it being on the exterior, it being played over, you'd have really cool stuff like the 8th hole at Prairie Dunes. Yeah. Where, you know, you...
1: I think you'll see. I think you'll see more of that at Tom Sedge Valley at Sand Valley. He's playing up and over. Like the the ground that he covers on the fairway is, mm-hmm. is maybe you know more dramatic, like, like what you're describing there. But going to the economics of, of that conversation, the carrying costs of the land certainly there's um, there's a carrying cost. But let's let's just do the math for a second. Let's say you bought 300 acres at thousand dollars an acre, and you buy it less than that. So let's say five hundred dollars an acre. Is $150,000 yeah. or $1. $1.5 million? $1.5 Just so we're not embarrassed, let, let's... let's uh, so I I'm embarrass myself all the time. Let's, let's bring math out on calculator. the calculator. Um, so I let's say 300 5 acres million. times 500, that's $150,000, oh, wow. right? And in you know interest rates were just lowered on, on Monday. But let's say you can. Um, you could borrow under, under 2%. But let's just say you could borrow at 2%, which would be a really great uh rate your interest would be three thousand dollars a year you know so you had principal not a huge carrying cost right for given the potential upside of a great site i don't I, i don't think you have to leave it for 30 i think it's seven i saw a piece of ground and i won't name the architect but um it was a perfectly flat site when he found it and he did this you know millions of acres of sand uh, he, he he moved around and created these great macro movements. Then the crash came in 2008, um, and and the project got, got killed, uh-huh. right? And I was I was with Will Smith from the Outpost Club, and we were I don't know I forget what we were doing on the trip, but just I think I, like we were looking at MapQuest, and I used to see this big blob of sand, so I was like, let's go, let's go, do that. You know, so we're trespassing, jumping over gates to get to this big thing of sand. And we just see these massive 60-foot sand dunes. And this is in a, in a place of the country that has no contour, perfectly flat. We're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And we're walking around. And then we, we ended up figuring out that it you know, had originally been intended to be a golf course. But this was seven years after the crash. So this was 2015. And these pines had grown 15 feet tall. Grasses had moved in. You know, nature took over. And then when you have organic matter, then the sand catches that when it blows around. So seven years later, the site was a little small. It was probably on 150 acres. But if you had 300 acres of that, I'd call it a perfect sand site. So if you could buy 300 acres, buy it for 500 an acre, those carrying costs are... If you're successful, a small drop in the bucket, right? So, um, you know, now if you're buying a ten thousand acre, and you buy a thousand acres, those are different numbers. Mm-hmm. But I get, yeah, just it could, on the it, it could work. It could work, yeah,
0: yeah. That's uh, yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it because then it's not that bad. Then you just got to hire a guy to. It's like the Mackenzie quote. How, to, how, do up? A, a flak, uh, how do you build a build a flack? How do you build an interest in green? hire the biggest idiot and tell them to make it flat
1: and give them a six pack of beer right
0: will yeah. <laughs> make it even better
1: so actually that's where the real cost would come in because to make a big mass with 60 foot dunes or 40foot dunes to you know to move you know even if it was just a million yards that that would be a real that, that would be the cost
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and and that's
0: you, you know you don't even have to make it big though because I think the most interesting stuff's the microbe yeah right? how do you, how do you balance that with retail I bet you you, there, there's a a shock and awe, especially at Sand Valley, where you have to, you don't have an ocean. Yeah, that, I, look, they they need dramatics.
1: They need something dramatic,
0: That's, versus that, like a Garden City, where the subtlety is. I've I, I I've
1: played Garden City, but Chicago Golf, I think, is one of the great golf courses on the planet. And um, if if it turned public tomorrow, it'd be successful because everybody would, you know, because it's a top
0: 20 yeah. legitimate top 20 golf course but if it didn't but have a name if
1: we build it i don't know i think um i think people would identify it as spectacular but people would play it and check it off their list and, and move on and i hate to say that because it's, it's one of my very favorite courses on the planet but i don't know if it could be a retail home run uh su- success um if we put it next to sand valley or mammoth or sedge valley Um, what we're trying to do at Jim Urbina is we have this land that has you know these these great you know micro contours and then these big dunes that don't really come into play right and in a sense I mean Sand Valley and Mammoth are are that way there's just great moving land that they've routed over those huge dunes which are eye candy they're not they're not really in play yeah but it's nice They're, they're stunning to look at and they're awe inspiring and they make you know so
0: we, um, it's like what David says is that those sand dudes are the ocean.
1: It's our ocean. Yeah. You know, and you know, and uh, one thing my dad said early on, uh, is Michael, you're selling sand, right? And, and, you know, it's not just sand. We're selling the Savannah, this beautiful, you know, uh, landscape that we're restoring. But yeah, I think you need that. Um, I mean, I'd love to be proved, proven wrong um and there are examples of public golf courses that don't have that dr- i mean uh St Andrews is, is wildly successful um and d- doesn't doesn't have that but it but it is so extraordinarily good um and it has a 600 year history and and a spirit to it so there's a lot of other reasons why it's successful
0: I think too there's something about like the when you have a less um, inspiring the the reality is you're building golf courses that the the normal person hopes to play once and if they they're lucky they get to play it more than once uh-huh. so you have to build golf courses that on first sight are like live up to the hype versus yeah. like there are golf courses that like the more and more you play, the the it becomes more and more endlessly fascinating. And the subt- yeah. thats one of the tr- I imagine the tricky things with what you do is that, like, the subtle brilliance is lost sometimes on on your guests because they might only get a play at once. And
1: yeah, well, ho- but hopefully the the architect will, um, I guess, capture their imagination and bring them back. Or you know, I got to play this again tomorrow, or, or we're gonna come back later this year. We have a lot of repeat business, so we certainly have people who come once. But I think what I, I think it's a balance between make sure that they love it the first time around. As soon as they walk off the 18th tee, they want to go back to the first tee, but. Um, but, but at the same time, make sure that if they spend the next 30 years coming back, they're going to learn something new every time they play it, see something different Mm -hmm. and and continuously learn something about the golf course and about themselves. And I think the the best architects, uh, and we're lucky to be able to work with these genius architects achieve that. So they could, they could impress you the first time around, uh, but continue to impress you on your hundredth round. And I think you see that, I mean, Stan Valley's younger, but you know Bandon we have groups who come back every single year for 20 straight straight years
0: I was were you guys I imagine when you built Sand Valley like the thing I find most amazing is like the ease to get to it from all these major metropolitan cities Minneapolis Madison Milwaukee Chicago how people can just get there easily you know in Bandon you got Oregon Portland but like that's about yeah. Eugene we,
1: we weren't smart enough to recognize that. I mean, we saw it as a remote destination, and we're building it as if it would be hard to get to. Uh-huh. Uh, and as you pointed out, there, I mean, there's 55 million people within a five hour drive, it, and it's really easy to get to. You know, you jump in your car. Uh, how you know takes three hours and 15 minutes from the northern suburbs in Chicago, three and a half from downtown, less than three from. So you, know, you,
0: didn't, you didn't even think about that.
1: No, because we've, I mean, uh, uh, I, I didn't, my dad didn't, he's never stopped to think about demographics on any golf course he built. So it's like, why well, think about it now? Right? Uh-huh. It's just not something when, when we're evaluating sites to build, you know, we don't say, does it have an ocean? Does it have sand? Is there a brilliant architect? Does it have people? So we never even, it's not even in our language of thought.
0: Has it changed? Has it, have you thought differently going forward after this Sand Valley experience?
1: I have a little bit on the site that we're trying to get off the ground, um, which I hope we could talk about in more detail once it's, once it's off the ground. I mean, the, the reality is, is we, we need to stay in, in business, right? right? And I think people will go to the edge of the earth when there's an ocean, and they'll drive for five hours or two or one if you have a great site like Sand Valley. Um, there's a site that's within several million people. Uh, but then very easy to fly to. So it's great because it's close to several mi- million. and it's great because you could fly there. but um, so it's something I've thought about. It's not gonna affect our it, our decision to move forward or not. Mm-hmm. you know we' we're, we're we're all in and can we get off the ground? We'll find out. Most projects we look at don't, but thought about it and and I think you need to go in assuming that every site's gonna be hard to get to. There's only three million people in the city. God how are we going to get them here this better be really good right we if as soon as we start taking our our guests for granted you know then we're going to fail so we have to assume that it's going to be brutal 5 hour drive that's a long drive or most of our guests come from less than 5 hours let's say mm-hmm. 3 hour drive that's a long drive god we got to really make this great we just have to we have to assume that so that their expectations are exceeded when when they get there and then if it turns out that they're saying, oh it's easy then great yeah. but, but, let's assume that they're gonna say what they say when they go to bannon. it's hard to get here, but it's worth every minute right? Cause, because of the the golf and 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 the and the people the service and you know the spirit of the place
0: that makes sense it is customer first product yeah Pro, yeah product product
1: to serve the customer yeah
0: yeah yeah it's uh All right. You've been, uh, you know, we we just scratched the surface. This could be 10 hours, so we'll just do it again sometime.
1: That'd be awesome. I always love our conversations. It was fun to do it on the the pod. Thanks for inviting me on.
0: I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll talk soon. Looking
1: forward to it. Thanks, Andy.